This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Jessica Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a really great show today. We, we actually have a lot to cover today. We're going to be talking about Biden's um, Kiss the Ring tour uh, to Saudi Arabia and the apartheid state. And one of the painful ironies of, of him going to the apartheid state and the, the medieval kingdom of Saudi Arabia is that there's going to be a historic flight from Jeddah to Tel Aviv on the presidential, you know, Air Force One. Never before happened that we know of publicly. So we'll be talking about that. We are going to talk a little bit about the ongoing trauma of Sharina Abouakla's family and the extended journalism community in the world. Her family has demanded to meet with Biden. Biden will go to the West Bank. He will be in Jerusalem. We'll see if that happens. And then, interestingly, an article that came up in Haaretz did, in fact, show that the uh, U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem, the land that it's on, was previously owned by Palestinian families. And this was published in Haaretz, so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Before we get to those uh, stories, Jamal, we're going to watch a really wonderful interview you did with uh, Rani Barkan, who was part of this group that was able to shut down Israeli arms manufacturer Elbit Systems in Bristol, U.K., he and nine other people are going on, are on out on bail, but the trial starts uh, in April 2023, and you had a really great interview with him. So we have a lot to go over today. That's right, Jess. Uh, and, uh, you know, for those who are not familiar with, with what's going on, uh, Palestine Action is a group of activists, international activists, Palestinians, uh, activists, Israeli activists, uh, activists from the UK and different European countries. Have been going, which I didn't know that Elbit has uh, more than half a dozen uh, manufacturing sites in in the UK, uh, right. focusing on manufacturing drones, drones uh, that basically uh, keeps the lar- largest uh, open air prison in Gaza basically uh, under watch and and some of them of course are killer drones they can uh, use them to launch missiles and 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 other things and so these activists number one they've outed uh, the uh, collaboration by the british government with the israeli government to allow them right. to manufacture these drones in in the uk and two, they've been disrupting uh, their operations. And from what I, my understanding, at least three of these sites have been permanently shut down. And 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 the latest one, they've been temporarily uh, interrupted. But it's really the whole purpose is to shine a spotlight about what's what's going on on in Britain. And a lot of right. uh, a lot of right. the uh, Brits are unhappy about it. You know, as they sh- as they should be. You know that that this is happening uh, on their own land, and as you know, uh, Britain is in a in a turmoil. They they uh, the, its prime minister has resigned, so they have kind of a caretaker government until they assign another uh, prime minister. Many of his cabinet members have resigned, and right. and the economy is in shambles because Britain took the lead. Along with other European countries, to sanction Russia and take sides with the, with Ukraine, and now they're 
feeling the the pain from all these economic sanctions from shortage in shortages in fuel fuel and and food and and today for the very first time i was listening to germany's premier telling the german people to take showers every other day i mean right. when when did you hear that ever or when did you that, hear that, that, that last that, not not since world war ii jamal and just one other thing quickly about boris Johnson in the UK, the apartheid state's biggest supporter in the UK in recent memory has in fact been Boris Johnson and his and his party, uh, the Conservative Party in the UK. And it's, you know, it's going to be a shambles, but it is moving to the right. So that's important to realize in this uh, what what you and Ronnie uh, are going to talk about in the upcoming interview. But but the other thing that the UK, the other reason the UK economy is getting hit right now is that they are feeling the negative consequences of exiting, you know, Brexit and kind of cutting off ties with the uh, European Union economically. That decision, which was spearheaded by Boris Johnson, proved to be economically pretty disastrous, in addition to what you said about the Russian, you know, the, the cooperation with the, you know, dealing with Russia during the Ukrainian war. But all of these things kind of focus the mind on uh, what Ronnie Barkan and uh, his allies have done to shut down Elbit, which was bringing in a lot of money apparently to the UK and shutting it down has really significant economic consequences, I guess. That's right. So let's uh, listen and watch uh, Ronnie Barkan. Elbit Systems is Israel's largest private arms company and markets its weapons as combat proven on Palestinians. Two Palestine um, activists were imprisoned and uh, after being arrested uh, on May 15th, and this is the Nakba Day, the commemoration of the 1948 Nakba, which saw 800,000 Palestinians ethnically cleansed from Palestine at Elbert Systems Bristol headquarters offices. These activists took direct action against Elbert Systems to demand an end to British complicity with Israeli apartheid. Joining us today is one of uh, these activists, Rani Barkan. Uh, Rani is a longtime uh, Jewish-Israeli activist and math teacher, also, also co-founder of Boycott from Within. He describes the Israeli treatment of Palestinians as apartheid, identifies himself as anti-Zionist and refers to Israel as the white supremacist entity founded on the basis of ethnic cleansing and ethnic segregation. Welcome again to Arab Talk, Rani. Thank you, Ron. Thank you for having me. So uh, tell us about uh, Elbit and why so many activists are, 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 are targeting this Israeli company, uh, particularly in, in England. Yes, I was just watching the, the Twitter feed of Palestine Action, uh, where today uh, some activists took over the rooftop of Thales uh, factory, which is an arms factory based in Glasgow, Scotland, uh, and uh, which manufactures bombs and drones. It is notorious for its uh, activity uh, and and murderous activity. And it is also uh, participating in a project of, uh, uh, along with Elbit uh, for drone surveillance and more than surveillance, basically the using of drones uh, to terrorize and to kill people around the world, including in Palestine, including uh, in Afghanistan and other places. So I was just getting updates uh, before our interview here, and I saw that the activists who have been occupying the place since the morning, since the early morning, they have 
uh, being uh, taken now uh, into custody. Uh, and and I would just like to inform the audience and that they should definitely follow up uh, on these activities that are ongoing. Uh, I participated in an, an action during uh, Nakba Day. Uh, we were nine activists um, who took action against the Elbit headquarters in Bristol. Uh, Elbit is the largest uh, arms firm, uh, Israeli arms firm. It supplies over 85% um, of the drones for the Israeli army, drones that are used not only to survey, but also to uh, kill people, to terrorize them. They're, these drones are hovering overhead 24 hours. People live in uh, fear of these drones. And I know of direct victims. Some have been killed and some have barely survived from these drone attacks, including young children. Um, so, so we took action against that headquarter in Bristol. Um, we were arrested. After a few days, some have been released on bail, while two of us, uh, Stavitsi and I and myself, who are Israeli dissidents, not UK citizens, have been held on remand for uh, a month and released 30 days later. I know you can talk uh, about the details of, of, of the arrest, uh, uh, but you said something very important. Uh, the, uh, you're, not, you're an Israeli citizen, so you were held longer than, I guess, uh, the other participants were uh, UK nationals or, or, or European nationals. Tell us a little bit about your, if you can share that, your experience. How were you treated uh, when you got arrested? Yes, um... I cannot go into too much detail because obviously there is uh, an ongoing investigation and uh, we are expecting trial in April of next year. Uh, so I, rather than going into too many details, I will say that uh, indeed we got arrested. Uh, uh, I also suffered uh, uh, injuries during the arrest. Um, afterwards, uh, like you said, uh, we were, um, th there was a, uh, both harsh bail conditions uh, for those who were released after a few days and the two of us uh, who are not UK citizens were held on remand uh, in prison for uh, a month uh, and are still right now uh, under harsh bail conditions. So all nine activists uh, have uh, been treated uh, quite harshly and we have to remember that people we were held on remand and under these harsh bail conditions even though the trial has not started. Uh, well, I mean, you said the trial is going to be April next year. Is this uh, normal to wait uh, almost a year for a trial? The situation in the UK uh, is deteriorating on many fronts, including uh, the length of time that uh, people have to await trial. Uh, there's also actually even a barrister strike uh, happening, along with other strikes that are happening in the UK for different reasons for different, uh, because the situation here is is uh, getting worse. And we are also seeing that uh, with regard to um, the pending trial. So uh, until that time, uh, all nine activists are uh, bound to the UK, including the ones who are not UK citizens. So, so basically you're stuck in, in the UK, you can, uh, just to make that clear, you cannot travel, you cannot go back to your hometown. I cannot to travel, your hometown. and you cannot... I'm also... 
Yeah, at the moment, uh, we're also, uh, as far as I know, Estavitsi uh, and myself, I don't know, we're not allowed to communicate, so I do not know about the situation of all the nine, uh, but uh, there's also um, uh, tagging, so basically, I have to be at home in, under curfew uh, every night. Uh, so from 10 p.m. I have to be at home every, so, every so, day. I mean, I know uh, England is not, a, it's not a cheap country. I mean, it's not a bad country to be, to, to be stuck at, but it's not a cheap country. Uh, how do you support yourself? I mean, you, you're stuck there. You, you have to pay for your expenses. How do you support yourself? Yes, uh, this is quite an issue that I had to change uh, my entire life and plans. Uh, I was living in Portugal, and now I am indeed stuck here uh, in the UK. But um, I'm happy to say that there was a lot of support, both um, while we're in prison and, and um, since we were released. Uh, it is really heartwarming to see uh, the amount of support from regular people who, who support the cause, um, who feel that uh, we are clearly on, on doing something that is uh, on the right side and, and, you know, from all the best intentions. Uh, so I got all these wonderful messages while in prison. Uh, I am hosted by a wonderful person here in Brighton uh, by the beach. Uh, so I cannot complain uh, about my conditions. Uh, I am I'm relatively well, uh, but obviously the conditions uh, overall are very limiting. At the same time, I would like to take the opportunity of being here in order to raise awareness to the situation. So. Uh, the fact that the authorities are trying to uh, limit us, uh, limit our, limit our uh, freedom of movement and other freedoms, uh, will not uh, will not also limit our freedom of expression. So I will definitely take the time uh, while while I'm in the UK to to speak up as much as I can about uh, Elbit and, and the entire Israeli murder machine. Uh, what role does Israel play, uh, I guess, in your arrest? I mean, have you been contacted? Usually, a foreign national, when, when he or she gets arrested uh, uh, overseas, the embassy contacts them. I mean, have they been involved or they're just happy to keep you at bay? Uh, I have not heard from the Israeli embassy. I wouldn't be surprised if they were involved in other ways that I am not uh, aware of, but I have not heard uh, and I will not be contacting them. So we've had this conversation before uh, when we've had you on the show a few times. Uh, again, tell our audience, why are you doing what you've been doing? You know, really pretty much taking the time, uh, subjecting yourself to arrest, uh, you know, speaking out against Israeli atrocities. I know when you've been there, you get harassed, you get stopped, you get questions, and and, and you being a Jewish Israeli. Yeah, so, so you mentioned Israeli atrocities, and we have to understand that there is a system of oppression that was founded since the very foundation of the State of Israel. Since 1948, at the latest, Israel is practicing what amounts to the crime of apartheid. It is also practicing colonialism and military occupation, a harsh, brutal military occupation and uh, pillage and many other uh, and ongoing war crimes. But especially when we talk about the crime of apartheid, 
We cannot downplay this. This is regarded in the law among the most severe crimes, the most atrocious crimes. It is defined as a crime against humanity on par with genocide. So if governments are not doing what they are obligated to do to stop these horrendous crimes, which are crimes against humanity, uh, it is up to us, civil society, individuals, uh, organizations, um, to stand up for these rights. Having said that, it applies doubly when I am actually among those who are among the privileged group who stand to benefit from or supposedly benefit from these crimes. So I'm an Israeli dissident. I oppose uh, pretty much everything that Israel stands for because it was built, as I mentioned, as an apartheid state in order to allow privileges to people like myself of my ethnic racial background at the expense of all the others, at the expense of, so 7 million people who are among the privileged group, by law, a, a benefit at the expense of the 12 million Palestinians who have been subjugated and terrorized and oppressed and exiled and murdered ever since the foundation of the State of Israel. So 7 million control the lives of another 12 million people, half of which are in forced exile for the past seven decades, for one and only one reason, because they do not belong to the correct racial ethnic category. Because they have other ethnicity, they are denied the right to go back home. And the whole system is based around that, around racial domination of one group against others. This is something that we definitely have to stand up against. Just like there was the struggle against apartheid in South Africa, which after many decades, we won that struggle. Just like there were other struggles around the world against other forms of oppression. This is a very serious crime that is taking place in front of our eyes. Um, and Elbit is a chief representative, an example, a glaring example of that. And we held that specific action when uh, I got arrested on Nakba Day. Nakba is the, the ethnic cleansing of the Palestinians in order to allow that system of oppression to happen. But the Nakba is an ongoing process. The ethnic cleansing and the racial domination is an ongoing process. And Elbit is utilizing that as we speak. So. Everything that is happening in Gaza, which over 70% of the population of Gaza are actually refugees from 48, from what is regarded today as Israel proper. Over 70% of the people of Gaza are refugees and they are stored in this warehouse for uh, the unwanted, the, the uh, uh, basically the unwanted um, spare human beings. They have been stored in that place called the Gaza Strip, the Gaza Strip, which is a concentration camp controlled by Israel, by air, sea, land, etc. And when it is controlled by the air, it is controlled with Elbit drones. When it is, when people are being shot at and terrorized, it, they are most likely, uh, Elbit is involved in the manufacturing of those weapons. Um, and, and, this is an ongoing process. So we have to, to listen to 
for example, how people in Gaza are experiencing this form of state terrorism uh, against them uh, via these technological tools. And these technological tools are actually manufactured here in the UK. There used to be 10 factories and uh, sites of Elbit systems in the UK. Uh, two of them have been shut down recently. One was shut down over half a year ago in Oldham. And the other one just recently, just after uh, we got released from prison, uh, we learned that um, the London headquarters of Elbit has been shut down due to ongoing protests there at that site in the center of London. So now the, the active Elbit headquarters is that in Bristol, the one that uh, I was demonstrating at. So you feel that uh, these actions basically uh, are making an impact uh, in, in your mind, at least to to remind, because uh, I, I think until uh, the demonstrations uh, by the activists, uh, very few people have heard even of Elbit, you know, let, let alone to know that, as you've mentioned, there were 10 factories in the UK. I think that the fact that a handful of activists uh, who are supported by many more, as I said, there is a very broad range of support from regular people in the UK and around the world. And this is really heartwarming and this is really important because what is happening here is that basically a movement, okay, is, is, is happening. It is not up to a certain individual or a certain organization, but there is a movement of people who are speaking up and, and, and are saying enough is enough. Uh, and the fact that this is happening and the fact that these relatively few people uh, are able to bring this to light, to, to bring this to the media, and the fact that the, the Elbit murder is successful. I know that Elbit has sold its factory in Oldham about half a year ago at a loss. They purchased it at around 15 million uh, pounds and they sold it at around at under 10. So... Uh, you know, this was, uh, even though it was framed as another business uh, activity, it was not a profitable one. It was probably as a result of other um, things that were happening. So uh, uh, President Biden is going to meet with the new Israeli government uh, soon. What are your expectations uh, from him? Do you expect anything different from Yair Lapid, for example? Uh, no, I think that uh, I do not expect uh, anything from any representative in the Israeli apartheid parliament. Lapid is actually, um, he was, um, his ticket was basically about fighting uh, the BDS struggle, the boycott investment sanctions uh, campaign against Israel. That very campaign, which demands the three fundamental rights of the Palestinians, which are protected by international law and human rights conventions. Uh, and so obviously, Lapid is not concerned about Palestinian rights. And when we're talking about Palestinian rights, we're talking about the uh, ending of that brutal military occupation. We're talking about equality for those who are second-class citizens in what is regarded as Israel proper. And finally, and most importantly, the rights of the refugees, those who have been exiled for the past seven decades and are denied the right to come back home because they were born to the wrong ethnicity. This is what... Opposing all of these, this is what 
the current acting uh, Israeli Prime Minister represents. Um, I do not think that uh, we have to look up to this meeting between Biden and uh, Lapid. Uh, Israel, for every intended purpose, is the 51st state of the U.S. When we regard uh, U.S. foreign policy, I mean, they are uh, they, their foreign policy kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't expect much. Obviously, they are trying to divert the attention and to point uh, at other uh, other players, whether it is Russia, whether it is Iran, and so on. Uh, but uh, I suggest that they will also look look at the mirror or look themselves in the mirror and start asking uh, the real questions about what do they stand for and um, why don't they abide by their own obligations under the law. Well, here is the here is the irony. Here is the irony in this trip, and 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 we'll probably talk about it during the rest of the show. Uh, but uh, President Biden is starting his trip by going to Saudi Arabia, <laughs> another violator of human rights, and also right. where its uh, crown prince is responsible for the murder of uh, Jamal Khashoggi. A, a journalist who worked for the Washington Post and lived in the United States. And now he's going to Israel, and that's something I wanted to ask you about. And this is a country that recently was responsible for the murder of a Palestinian-American journalist, Shireen Abu Akli. I mean, this is kind of like the crazy thing, is like the two countries the, the U.S. president has decided to, to visit are the two abusers of human rights in in the entire area. Do you feel that the Israeli government at any point would assume accountability for the murder of Shirin Abakli? Unfortunately not. And my heart goes out to the family of Shirin and all the others who have been targeted and uh, uh, the perpetrators receive impunity, whether by Israel or the U.S., um, but we do we do have to demand uh, justice for Shirin, um, and this by by the way this uh, murder of uh, the Al Jazeera journalist uh, happened just a few days before uh, the action against Elbit. Um, now I mentioned that uh, the United States and Israeli uh, foreign policy is pretty much uh, the same. Uh, and the fact is that all of those players in the region, also including Saudi Arabia and so on, for them, war is a business. Exactly the thing that you know we are trying to challenge here. The whole uh, accords between Israel, you know, the Abram Accords and so on, they are a, a business deal for selling American and Israeli weapons to these countries. There's a lot of money involved in these deals that are happening. Uh, and, and so it is not surprising that Biden is meeting both the Israeli and the Saudi representative together um, because, because they are business partners in this. And this is how we should be looking at that. The fact that the U.S. doesn't even ask for accountability for its own citizens when they have been executed by Israel. And we have pretty good knowledge of what has happened and who the, who the perpetrators are. 
this is very, very worrying. And uh, I, th I, sh I think that we should make an effort not, uh, to, not to be silent about that, to, to carry on demanding that, because we, we're talking about a person in the media, a person who, who has access to, not someone who was silenced and can be just, uh, you know, this story can be brushed under the carpet. Quite the contrary. Well, they've, 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 respected they've, they've, media channel and unfortunately, they've done it before, even though this wasn't a journalist, but we know the case of uh, activist Rachel, Rachel Corey. Yes. She was murdered, and despite all the attempts to conduct an investigation for, and, and, and for Israel to take accountability, up to, to this day, they've never taken accountability for her murder. Right. I, I attended the hearings and also translating for the Corey, Corey family and sending them my regards right now um so yes i've seen uh, the procedure in the israeli courts uh which it, it looked like a kangaroo court uh, the, there was no uh, no seeking of accountability whatsoever uh, in the court uh, and uh, i remember how the, per the perpetrators uh, were actually their identity was protected uh, they were protected obviously by the authorities they're also protected by so-called uh, um, or, uh, organizations which, which claim to break the silence, but instead uh, they are making sure that the facts of, the, of uh, those incidents will never ever see the light of day. So as far as I know, uh, I am not 100%, but as far as I know, uh, uh, breaking the silence actually does have the uh, identity of the person who uh, has killed Rachel Corey, but they will never ever uh, release that of their own accord because it, they, are, they have never broken the silence. They have collected hundreds and thousands of testimonies. They have corroborated them. They, they, they have been very clear uh, about the fact that they never release anything that has not been corroborated. So they do have the facts, but they have never published a single fact in their uh, entire uh, existence. Uh, they have self-censored everything. Then they also send everything to the military censorship and what uh, is the ending result are stories which are based on facts but are redacted of any valuable information like times, dates, names, chain of command, types of uh, ammunition, and so on. Well, uh, Brani Barkan, uh, thank you again for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you for having me. And I think that it is important to remember that we do have to stick to the facts. We do have to talk about the facts, not uh, not just tell the general story, but point the finger. If it is Elbit, we have to mention Elbit. If it is uh, the identity of Shadina Bouakle and the, the silencing of that story, we have to demand that this story will not be silenced. Thank you again, and, and, and best of luck. And, and just quickly, people want to keep track of what's happening in, with Elbit. Uh, is there a website they can go to? Uh, they should uh, Google the uh, Palestine Action website and also, as well as on Twitter, uh, and they can follow me. I make sure to retweet as much as I can uh, about that, whatever, whatever I can do without uh, discussing my own uh, issue, which is an ongoing trial. That's the voice and the face of Rani Barkhan, uh, you know, basically pro-Palestine activists and uh, you know, speaking about the upcoming uh, trial that he and his 
colleagues are scheduled to be on for April in 2023. I mean, have to give these guys so much credit, Jamal. Shutting down Elbit uh, in the UK is no small, it's no small task, but also speaks, you know, frankly, to the consciousness uh, of, of, of uh, you know, UK citizens, basically, and, you know, their appreciation of, you know, what the apartheid state has done in terms of the assault on Palestinians and the assault on justice there. So it's quite a compelling story. Absolutely. So moving on to our next story, Jess, and um, I'm, I'm using this terminology in quotes, <laughs> this historic trip. And Biden says this Mideast trip, and I'm quoting here, is a symbol of budding relations between Israel and the Arab world. And then the media has been describing this flight as a historic Historic. trip because it's the first trip, as you've mentioned earlier, where uh, a U.S. president uh, flies directly on Air Force One uh, between Jeddah and and Tel Aviv. So what historical part do you see about this, Jess? Well, I don't. I don't see anything really historic about it, to be honest. I see something really, uh, you know, really in terms of the political consequences, really pretty, pretty awful for Biden, pretty awful for the United States. And the only winners here are, you know, MBS and uh, the apartheid state, which is going through its own political chaos right now because, you know, the parliament has been disbanded yet again in the apartheid state. There's going to be the fifth or the sixth election in two or three years. They're kind of economically also struggling right now because of COVID and other things. And, you know, listen, MBS and the apartheid regime are the only beneficiaries because one of the things that the mainstream media is not telling you, Jamal, is that MBS is already in Saudi Arabia have already told uh, Biden that they're not planning on changing their cooperation with Russia. They're not planning on changing their oil and economic relationship with Russia. And, you know, the other kind of digging deep into the uh, weeds here on this, Saudi Arabia is not going to increase more oil production. Their refining capacity is almost maxed out now. And given the price of oil, it's fluctuations up and down. Uh, The the Saudi uh, medieval regime has already told the Biden administration that don't expect much help from Saudi Arabia and changing the the oil crisis. So the only thing that's historic in my humble opinion, Jamal, is that you have a weak president bending over backwards, kissing the ring of an apartheid regime, as well as a a thug in the Middle East at the medieval kingdom with MBS. And what what is so historic about that? It's going to make him look weak and foolish, Jamal. Well, I'll tell you what's actually so his- historic about that. It's it's a, a first flight of its kind between a, a medieval kingdom and a- an apartheid state. <laughs> so that's 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 how I see it. But yeah, before yeah. before we got on the show, Jess, I I saw this uh, new uh, poll uh, for. Biden's disapproval rating, not approval rate, disapproval rating, it, it, it's, it's about 77% disapproval rating. Right. While at the same period for the last president who had something close to this, 
was Donald Jimmy, Trump. No, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Carter, right. Jimmy Carter, but it was 66% disapproval rating. And right. of course, we know what happened to Jimmy Carter. He lost the elections. So one Biden, term. Yeah, one-term president, just like, yeah, you know. Yes, so Biden yeah, yeah. beat Jimmy Carter, which is, I, I find it very hard, actually, to, to think about, because going back to Jimmy Carter, in a disapproval rating. So whatever he does, I don't, I don't know what he's going to do. He's just going to... Every single president had to do that uh, pilgrimage to Saudi Arabia and, 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 and to, to Israel, our closest allies in the Middle East, and then and, and Biden's trying to revive the so-called uh, Oslo Agreement, which is nonsense just to, for a photo up to go have a photo up with the new Israeli prime minister and then meeting with uh, Mahmoud Abbas. is not going to help his rating. The yeah, other, yeah, the, I think, I think the, it's going to hurt it, Jamal. No, the other, the other statistics that I saw, which is was the uh, what Americans are concerned about, the five most important things, and number one was inflation, and number two, I think, is the economy, and number three, the no, number two is the price of oil, number three is the economy, number four is gun violence, not gun violence, again, something to do with the economy, like uh, the in general, number five, which kind of like is uh, Roe v. Wade, uh, I'm talking about, actually, I shouldn't say Americans, this is the Democratic, Democrats. Oh, Democrats. Democrats. Yeah, so yeah, Democrats yeah. is, it's even for Democrats, because they got a little bit of a bump uh, in the ratings because uh, of what happened, the, the disaster that happened at the Supreme Court, it only improved uh, the ratings by 2%. So, so still even the, the most important, abortion is like the fifth most important issue or sixth most important issue. The first five important issues all deal with the economy and, and Biden destroyed that. Just Well, like, that's, that's right, Jamal. But here's the problem. When he scheduled the trip, it's when people were screaming about oil prices and gasoline prices. So he felt like he had to do something. And uh, it's proven and will prove to be, Jamal, a politically disastrous trip for him. Especially There's... especially since we mentioned this uh, on the last show, that he labeled MBS as a pariah or, or the whole Saudi regime as a pariah state. And now he's going to... Legitimize. Yeah, he's going to legitimize MBS. And by the way, I think it's important, you know, another thing, I'm sure you read about this, but there was a report by one of MBS's former top intelligence uh, uh, inner circle people who's now kind of uh, left and is in exile right now. And he basically said that the that MBS is a uh, psychopath <laughs> and, and an extreme danger he's to the... Yeah, psychopath and danger. Somebody, to, when, when you take one of your citizens and chop him to pieces in your own psychopath. embassy, you're a psychopath. I, I don't right. know what other explanation. But anyway, uh, we will be reporting on this because right. uh, as, it, as it happens. Uh, and I want to go back again to, to Biden's trip because then Biden is going to go to meet with, uh, uh, with Mahmoud Abbas and, and meet with Yair Lapid, the Israeli prime minister. And then there is something very important because we spoke about this uh, to an extent in, during the last show, how the United States basically has been sweeping under the rug the murder of an American citizen and a journalist, Sharina Boakli. And so now the family has demanded publicly, they've sent a letter to the State Department, sent a letter to the White House, 
um, demanding, and I'm just quoting parts of that letter. Letter says, in the days and weeks since an Israeli soldier killed Shireen, not only have we not been adequately consulted, informed, and supported by the United States government officials, but your administration's actions exhibit an apparent intent to undermine our efforts toward justice and accountability for Shireen's death. Then they go and they say, all available evidence suggests that Shireen, a U.S. citizen, was the subject of an extrajudicial killing. Yet, your administration has thoroughly failed to meet the bare minimum expectation held by a grieving family to ensure a prompt, thorough, credible, impartial, independent, effective, and transparent investigation that leads to true justice and accountability for Shireen's killings. So they're asking to meet with him. It's not going to happen. We don't know if even he, he read the letter. I mean, even though the letter has been published on several uh, sites, including, uh, I think, AP and Reuters and, of course, Al Jazeera and others uh, in, in the media, and it was sent to the State Department and sent to the White House, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. The question is, has that letter landed on the desk of Biden or is he choosing to ignore it, Jess? Well, of course, he's choosing to ignore it, Jamal, because um, there's just no way that the President Biden has the emotional, intellectual, moral integrity to be able to sit down with the family of an American citizen who's been murdered. He'll talk to Brittany Griner's wife. He'll talk to Paul Whelan's family. These are both individuals who who are American citizens in Russian prisons right now who are being held. But he refuses to talk to the family of an American citizen and journalist who is murdered by the so-called number one ally of the United States. And he just doesn't have the backbone. He doesn't have the backbone. He doesn't have the moral authority or integrity to sit down and talk with Abu Mm -hmm. Akhlaf. Didn't have a decency to pick up the phone because, uh, as, as you've mentioned, actually, the athlete uh, who is in, in held in in, in Russia, uh, yeah, Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner. He actually spoke to her family, and he made kind of a commitment that they are that they the United States is not going to abandon her. And the same with Paul Whelan's family. He's another American that's stuck in Russia right now. And these are these are Americans who are under really terrible conditions in a Russian prison, but they're alive. Yet you have this American citizen who's murdered by an ally, and we have radio silence. In fact, what we have, Jamal, is complicity between the U.S. government and the apartheid regime in covering up the details, because we spoke about this last time with this ridiculous report that was issued by the U.S. government in the so-called... you know, initial investigation should be final investigation because they're not going to be doing anything else. The kind of weak conclusions that they made. So I don't see that Biden's going to meet with the Abu Ekla family. This is already a disastrous trip for for Biden. Um, I see this as really problematic. And if the the one thing, if you look at a poll that just came out today. The majority of Democrats, in fact, do not want Biden to run for re-election. We're not talking about the entire country, Jamal. We're talking about hardcore Democrats who say that they do not want to see Biden run for a second term. So he this is only he's digging himself deeper in a hole of 
of a, of a, of a political hole. Well, it's a shame. It's a shame, actually, that he has abandoned an American citizen and, and her family, and will be a shame that he will not meet with them. Hopefully, he'll meet. I mean, I don't expect him to do anything. I don't even, expect it, Jamal. Even a, like a meeting just to, to express his condolences and, and make, even if, it, if they were empty promises to say that we are going to do everything to get to the bottom of this. And, and but what about gonna... Jamal? What, what about having a condolence, uh, you know, book at the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem for an American citizen that has been murdered? They, that is typical protocol that if an American is killed in foreign soil, the embassy has a condolence book in which people can come by and sign it. The U.S. Embassy has no decency in being able to do that. And by the way, I guess that's a good segue to our to our next segment, right? Because that U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem is on stolen Palestinian land. Well, uh, this is the land for the, uh, just to make a slight correction, Jess, uh, everything is on stolen uh, Palestinian <laughs> land. You know, I mean, that, that too, I mean, we know 1948 Palestinians lost uh, pretty much 98% of their land. So, so anywhere you go in Jerusalem or in Haifa or in Akka or any uh, major city, uh, the homes, the buildings, the land belonged uh, to Palestinians. So this is actually the land that is planned for the new U.S. embassy. So, right. so, so they're planning to move the new U.S. embassy. Uh, there was, uh, of course, Palestinians knew that all along, but this is the first time that uh, the Israeli paper Haaretz Put documentation showing the proof of ownership. So, of course, ahead of uh, President Biden's visit uh, to Israel and, and the West Bank. So the Palestinian families, just because they have designated now, Israel uh, designated uh, the land to give to the Americans to build the new U.S. embassy, the so-called unified embassy, because they got, got rid of the the, the embassy in, in Tel Aviv. And they... Right. they uh, I uh, have canceled the consulate that used to serve Palestinians in Jerusalem. So that's the combined kind of uh, new building. And uh, basically the families came forward and said, hey, wait a minute. We have that's proof our of land. ownership. Not only, we have on- not only we have ownership, because this land, by the way, belongs to several f- uh, families because it's, it's a big plot of land. And they came and they said, not only we have uh, proof of ownership of the land, but we also have contracts that we were leasing the land to the British government. So they have, because this is what how Israel works the system. They say, well, you know, this is a government land because it belonged to the British government. But the British government was leasing it from these Jerusalemite families uh, before 1948. So, the, so, the, so those families, basically, they're asking President Biden, hey, don't make the mistake because and take over our our property from from the Israelis because this has been uh, it has been it was confiscated by them. So they have basically, uh, along with uh, legal representation by the Legal Center for Arab Minority Rights in in Israel, uh, Adala. You know you heard of the organization right. there. They presented documents to the basically now to the current. I guess U.S. Embassy now, the temporary U.S. Embassy, uh, showing proof of ownership and showing proof of leases. Uh, 
that this land belonged to them before 1948. The families, including the Habib family, the Qulaybo family, the Khalidi family, the Razak family, El Khalili family, they all brought forward decades worth of rental contracts just between them and the mandatory government uh, for the land, which was the British government. So one of the documents, we are looking at the documents, the government, the British government uh, paid about 30 liras per dunum each year for the land. Because I, I told you, I don't know how many dunums, but it's a lot of dunums, which was owned by the, by the Palestinians. The land is located west of the Green Line, the so-called Green Line. And like all other Palestinian property in West Jerusalem, it was transferred via... Israel has this Kakamemi law called the absentee property law into Israeli hands in 1950. So they push you out of your land and they declare you you are an absentee and then they confiscate the land. Yeah, and so this is why uh, Joe Biden's moral authority as the president of the United States is such a failure, Jamal, because you, you know that he's going to take the marching orders from the apartheid regime. There's nothing that's going to be said with it. But 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 on the positive side, because Adala is involved with this, and we have this compelling legal evidence about the land being leased, you know, perhaps, perhaps that uh, there could be a very large legal case charging the U.S. government uh, le- property lease rights and charging them. I mean, the property is so valuable right now. It's got to be hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, uh, you know, uh, the lease per month, right? Well, here is a caveat. Uh, some of these uh, owners of the land are American citizens, including uh-huh. the Khalidi family. You, you're aware of, you know, the Palestinian-American professor right. Rashid Khalidi Rashid. Right. at Columbia University. This land belongs to his family. So as an American, he can sue differently than right. someone who is... So So, so for, as an American citizen, this is meaning the, the, your own government, the United States, is stealing your land from you. <laughs> it's not just the... Never mind the Israelis who stole it first, but this is the Americans are stealing this land. So it, it is, they've, they wrote a letter, basically. So, so these, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, they sent a letter requesting that the U.S. government cancel the plan to, to move the embassy on, on their land and so they cannot claim they are unaware or we got it as right. a from the Israeli government. Right. Or something like that. This is proven. They have documents. They have leases. They have American uh, heirs to, to these lots of land. And eventually it's going to come back to bite the State Department in the behind uh, afterwards because it's going to be not only... Right. So, Jamal, let me ask you a question. Could the U.S. government under a Democrat administration be any more foolish and dismissive of Palestinian uh, rights and Palestinian claims of sovereignty and self-determination? I mean, we expected it under the Trump administration, but it seems like this ongoing abysmal record of affront to Palestinian integrity and sovereignty and self-determination is being carried on by the Biden administration. This is a perfect example. Exactly, because this land has been set aside by Israel since the 1990s, and every single administration has refused to, to move the embassy from Tel Aviv into Jerusalem until Trump 
came into power and then they moved it to a temporary right. location. Right. And now Biden, instead of saying, hey, wait a minute, I've served in the Obama administration as vice president and, and we refused to, to move the embassy and we, we refused to appropriate this land. And he's now coming to really basically support Trump's huge mistake, basically getting the exactly. United States involved. And 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 the Israelis getting more brazen because even like just to give you to cite another example that after uh, uh, the new Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid took his post, he decided to move outside to a temporary residence outside the Prime Minister's residence into a building seized from a Palestinian family who fled in 1948. And so even within the Israel, in doing so, he broke a long-standing principle for Israeli premiers. Uh, the past two prime ministers have turned down proposals, for example, to move into the absentee properties. Right. And and so now even the Israelis, they're taking the lead from the Americans. They say, well, if the Americans are accepting the fact that now we can appropriate the land and and ignore the rights of the original owners. So why don't we do the same thing and move our uh, exactly, premier Jamal. Into, into stolen property? Exactly. So the, this goes back to what we began with today. If if Joe Biden wants to go and uh, kiss the ring of MBS, a thug, a psychopath, and a killer. Why wouldn't is why wouldn't the apartheid regime and the Israeli prime minister why wouldn't they take full advantage of his weakness and do something like that? That's why this trip is a disaster. So the historic part about this trip, just aside from the <laughs> flight between a medieval kingdom and an apartheid state, the historic part is that Joe Biden is going to whitewash the Saudi regime and the Israeli apartheid regime in, in, in during the same trip. Right. And that's uh, all I could say, Joe Biden, is that if you wanted to do something to make your presidency even weaker, you've been successful. You've just weakened your presidency even more. And um, basically, your credibility as the moral authority uh, for the great so-called greatest country in the world under your leadership is completely tarnished yet again. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest episodes, and we will talk to you next week. We'll see you next week.